I've always been really into puzzles. And, and really what a contract negotiation is, is a big puzzle. Hello, everyone. It's time for another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast, where I, your host, Dr. Jim Hoven, get a chance to meet cool people, interesting people, amazing people doing things and making a difference every single day. Some at the individual human level, some at the corporate level. And today, my guest is attorney Tyler Robbins. His story is amazing. How he got here is going to be so interesting for you. And what he does is contract negotiations. Now, before you put your hands on your head and say, oh, contract negotiations, <laughs> there's so many fascinating things about contracts and life is really all about contracts. So we're going to talk about it today. We're going to go through it and we're just going to have wonderful time. So uh, let's get started. And first and foremost, Tyler, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dr. Hoven. Really I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. So this is exciting for me because I love business and I love setting goals and I love training. The one thing I really don't enjoy so much is contracts, <laughs> you know, and I'm certainly not trained like you are to yep. look at them and going through all that stuff. But like we talked about at the, the intro, contracts are an important part of every part of life, right? Not just yep. what you're doing, but give me a little background about contracts. Yeah. So it's, I mean, as you said, it, it really governs pretty much every aspect of our life. Uh, when you sign up for Facebook, you agree, you click that little box that says, I agree to these terms and use. That's a contract between you and Facebook. Um, for, for what all the attorneys here at Ramos Law do, they, um, they handle insurance claims. That's an, a contract between the insured and the insurer, the insurance company. Um, and certainly in, in what I do is for my company, we sell products. We're a software company uh, at Alteryx Incorporated. And the contracts will govern the relationship between the parties. So we're selling to a customer. Uh, the contract's going to set out the terms of use, any restrictions that we put on the customer. You can't use it in this way. You can't use it to, to break the law, for instance. Um, and also, obviously, a, a bit more legal terms like indemnification, limitations of liability, uh, and so on. The, the other side of it, as well as, as, a, as an entity, uh, we need services and products as well. And so I'm, I'm sure a lot of companies and, and individuals are familiar with Microsoft Office. That's obviously a, a very, uh, the, probably the most prevalent productivity suite. Um, you need a contract with Microsoft to be able to use those products. And it's sort of the flip side of what we're doing. They put restrictions on us for what we can and can't do with Microsoft Office. Um, you, you can't use your, your Outlook to send, uh, to send spam emails, for instance. That's one of the restrictions in there. Um, and so... That's sort of day-to-day, uh, -day, the, the contract life that I live. Um, but in terms of in-house, there's a, a lot more broader roles in terms of, um, just like you said, managing the business. Uh, obviously, uh, an, an entity is formed by articles in uh, of incorporation, and those are kind of the rules that, that govern uh, what an entity can do and, and how it should interact. And obviously, there's laws uh, in each state that govern those things. And so also, um, not particularly my role, but within my company, the, the corporate councils, uh, uh, as opposed to the commercial council that, that I am, they handle sort of that aspect of, of running the business in accordance with the laws. Um, additionally, because we are a public company, there's uh, SEC restrictions that we have to, to follow filing our, our quarterly statements uh, with our, uh, our, our, you know, our financial statements and so on. And so 
It's really about making sure the business is running how it should be, um, making sure that from a risk perspective, the business is, is not taking on uh, risks that could potentially uh, make the business go under, um, and then ultimately selling products and, and facilitating those transactions to uh, bring in the, the revenue. So what you just described is a mouthful, and there's a lot there in one company and one business. And I think there, as we go through the conversation, it's going to be interesting for the you know Joe Q public yep. that doesn't necessarily work in something like what you're talking about. I think there's going to be a lot to learn about principles that we can all use. And, and while we're learning at the same time, what, what you're doing at the macro level, so to speak. And so when, when I was looking at some of the information about you, it, you're called commercial counsel. Yep. And I think you've just described that to us in the sense that as commercial counsel, as an attorney that does commercial counsel, it's contract work, but it's also helping understand how the business works on the productivity side, the receivable side. There's just a lot about that where you're kind of a, a, a business specialist attorney. Would that be an accurate statement? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, I mean, one of the, the reasons why I decided to go to law school was I really enjoyed the business aspect. So my undergrad degree is in finance. Um, I wanted to be able to utilize that degree uh, while also y utilizing a law degree as well. And so uh, naturally, you, you know, it's that, that doesn't lend itself so much to, to doing uh, what this firm does, what Ramos Law does, going and, and advocating on behalf of, of injured clients, for instance. Um, but just being, in general, a business person. And, and like you said, being a part of those conversations of, okay, we've got a really big deal here on the line, but it will require us to take on a little bit more risk than maybe we're comfortable with. So it's about balancing those issues um, and ultimately advising the people, the, the ultimate decision makers uh, of those risks and sort of weighing that, that risk benefit. So it's a really big advisor role for the for like you say the decision makers I'm interested in if we now go back in time mm -hmm. you were a business major in college finance yep and prior to that when you were a young man uh, coming up through junior high elementary high school did you know that you wanted to be more in business from family type stuff or did you always know that you wanted to go into law school through business take me through that yeah, so it's it's honestly um, it's quite funny because um, like with my wife Madeline, who's who's here, you may have seen her her uh, podcast or, or video. They were great. Uh, yep. She and Jessica, they're Batman and Robin. Absolutely. So uh, a, a big mentor, uh, a big legal mentor for me was actually her stepdad, Matt Matt Lafaso, and he owns his own personal injury firm back in Louisiana, where we're from. And so I kind of, when it became time to start applying for college and, and thinking about that aspect of my future, I thought, hey, I like what he does. He's got a really nice, nice lifestyle. He owns his own business. He can, he can obviously manage his workflow. He can take on as many clients or as few clients as he, he wants to. Um, and I really like that aspect of not only being an attorney and helping, helping folks, but obviously running your own business as well. Um, and so I, I knew sort of, I had it in the back of my mind of going to law school, um, not really knowing what what type of lawyer I'd want to be, um, but went into to undergrad with the the mindset of wanting to get into business somehow. And so I started, I think, in um, in, in accounting, and then took a few finance classes and. I thought, well, finance is a bit more interesting. It's more about how do you make money and how do you how do you allow your money to make money for you um, rather than accounting is more kind of retroactive of looking back like what to do with the money yeah this is this is how much money we made you know in the past three months 12 months what, what have you so it was a bit more kind of um, 
forward looking and kind of doing a lot of analysis, which I, I really like the math aspect of more so trying to model out like this is what we can do. This is what we'll need to do. Uh, this is what we'll need to earn if we want to you know, finance a new wing to our building or, or add on a new product line and things like that. So now, were, did you have businesses growing up or your family entrepreneurs or? No, I think it was just it was mostly just Matt seeing him like operate the business and kind of be his own boss. And so I, I think it was that aspect of kind of having having that business as like your baby essentially of like you get to sort of make it how you want to make it do what you want to do and i think naturally with becoming an attorney like you it's perhaps different from a doctor where you go into different specialties with with being a lawyer you can you graduate you can become a criminal lawyer you can become a, a an in-house counsel personal injury lawyer like it's it's not so specialized there there are some kind of niche areas that require specialization but for the most part like the world is your oyster in a sense that's awesome um, and I, I gotta ask you something yep when um we've talked many many times with guests on this show and almost every time there are people in their lives that have played critical uh, roles in seminal moments that have led to them creating greatness and You've mentioned now a couple of times that, you know, your father-in-law yep. was that person for you. Um, have you told him that? Does he know the important role that he played as a mentor and example and kind of that rock or pillar that you were moving towards? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that I've explicitly told him. I mean, I feel that kind of for both Maddie and me, like becoming lawyers, um, being the only sort of legal legal natured people and and certainly in my family and, and even in hers since it's it's her stepdad um i i think he kind of understands that but uh yeah i'm, I'm sure he would definitely appreciate being explicitly told just because um i mean he's the the type of guy obviously in the the personal injury line like always looking out for other people and i feel like that was that was very much his mindset with me um, especially as I got into law school because I went to law school in Louisiana. And so that's where all of his legal connections were. And so if I had an interview coming up uh, nine times out of 10, he knew the, the, the people that would be interviewing me so he could give them a call and, uh, and certainly helped me get a few of my sort of in law school internships and, and so on. So, that's I, so I think cool. he, he recognizes that he played a big part, but his mindset is very much like, you, you know, you did all of the work. Like I kind of helped facilitate some things, but it was very much like all your hard work and, and determination. So he's kind of a, a, you know, humble and, and um, you, you know, pushes everything away in that regard. I'll tell you as a um, guy now who has gone down life's pathways, and done some things and, and had some great mentors. One of the best things I did one day, it was, the, it was the start of a new year several years back, and I just went back through my life and I said, man, who has been really important to me in these moments? And it started with the, the farthest back I went was my high school football coach. Mm -hmm. And then I went to um, a professor and I went to a mentor, a, a contemporary with me, and I just had this list of people and I wrote or called every single one of them and the things that that did for me yep. by just sharing that with them was so fantastic. And what it gave them was acknowledgement, even though they never needed it, never asked yep. for it. But the fact that, you know, now all these years later, 
even to my high school football coach, it just really opened up some really cool um, things. So I would encourage you to do that because it would come out of total left field. Yeah. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's just going to make him if it does anything like, like it did for those folks. And when people have done it for me, yep. I'm telling you, it's a game changer. So when I, I, I understand that because like, um, you, you know, Maddie and I have obviously younger family members, cousins and, and so on that we try and pass down that information because at least on my side, like my brother who's older than me, uh, was the first one to, to go to college. And then it was me. Um, and then, so we've sort of tried to set the bar for, for our younger, uh, not siblings, but basically siblings. Um, and, and taken on that mentorship role of like just showing them, you know, this is what you can do. Um, you, you know, one of them is in pharmacy school right now. And while it's not exactly the same as, as law school, you're learning very different things. Uh, the, the nature of graduate school is that it's very rigorous. It's going to be very time consuming. You have to be fully committed. And so being able to pass on those things of like, yeah, this is completely normal that you're studying, you, you know, eight, eight to 10 hours a day and going to class, you know, the other, uh, another eight hours or, or so. So it's been nice. And, and just hearing the feedback from them, um, and, and having them say, thank you. You know, even if it's just a, a phone call, thanks for, for calling and talking about that. So certainly I understand from that perspective and, and definitely, uh, see how, you know, on the other side, uh, someone like Matt would definitely appreciate that. That's so cool. The fact that you guys are already in that space, to help the younger folks. Cause what, what we've seen so many times, whether it be from the conversation you and I are having just like this, or on the other side, when you look at folks that are um, underprivileged, no mm -hmm. matter what, you know, what race, color, creed, religion they are, when you look at their family traits, oftentimes it's just lineage passed yep. down, right? Someone has to break the cycle. And like you said, your brother was the first one to go to college and then you, and now you guys have created a new template and a new way to go. That's yep. got to feel good to you. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's always come from, from a mindset that Maddie and I share and it's, you, you know, there's room for everybody to thrive. Like that, you, you know, I, I'm not competing with my cousin, like any sort of, if you want to call it institutional knowledge or, or wisdom that we pass down, it's not going to like hurt me that he's going to be bettering him, him himself. Um, and, and just like you mentioned, whether it's, you, you know, within your own family or within the broader community, um, I, I still think that principle holds true that there's room for everyone to thrive and succeed. Um, and, and so it's, you know, I, I have no issues with taking on wisdom. Obviously, I'm, I'm still uh, relatively young, though starting to feel the effects of, of getting a bit older. Um, and so recognizing that there's room for me to grow and still things for me to learn, um, but also the, that in my my path up to this point, I've learned quite a lot. And those things I can pass down to people that were, you know, that are in the same stage that we were in just a, a few short years ago. That's so beautiful. And coming into your work, you've taken, I can hear the passion that we talked for a few minutes before we went on air, <clears throat> the passion that you have for what you do with, um, you know, with the, the teams that you work with and your clients and the, the decision makers, all of this stuff requires a certain amount of um, attention to detail and requires caring and requires excellence. Those are all characteristics of greatness mm -hmm. um, that, you, that you can use in any field. I'm interested for you, um, what is it that makes you crazy about contracts? So is there something about <laughs> that, the language, the detail, what yeah. is it that makes you just thrive in that environment? Yeah, there, there's definitely a couple of things there. For me, it's, um, I've always been really into puzzles. 
and, and really what a contract negotiation is, is a big puzzle, right? So we obviously, if, if we're selling our products, we have our, our standard form contract um, that we know like the back of our hand. We, we wrote it, we drafted it, we've edited it multiple times. Um, and we pass that along to the customer and they say, no, 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 no. We, you know, we can't agree to these payment terms, for instance. They're, they're too short, like our payment cycle is, is much longer. So we need longer payment terms. Um, we, we also can't agree to, um, or we need to be able to have our affiliate, our affiliated entities use your products under this contract as well. And so really, you know, what that does is we, we kind of keep a mental checklist, right? Like they're, they're requesting one thing here that's maybe a tick on the other side that we need to try and claw back uh, in, in another area. And so it's very much like a, a balancing act, right? If you think of the scales of justice, it's not quite, not quite that poetic, but it's very much a balancing act in that, you, you know, if you take from one side of the equation, you've got to put it on the other side of the equation. And so maybe we're willing to extend the payment terms for this customer, but we're also going to require them to have you know, maybe a bit more risk associated with the contract. Is that what you love? Do you love the give and take? Do you love the, the fact of like, is the ultimate goal for you in a contract? And obviously <clears throat> it's to get the best deal for your side. Cause that's who you're supposed to represent. But yep. the, the emotional fulfillment, whatever that side, is it winning? And I use air quotes for those listening to get the best deal for you guys, or is it to create more deals because you can be reasonable and you can have and maybe we can even talk about this, a win-win. Is a, is a win-win ever really um, possible in, in your mind from your perspective? So maybe two-part question there. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, a, a win for me, especially on the sales side, is is getting the deal done. Because obviously um, the the customer is king, right? The customer is the one with the checkbook, you, you know, the golden rule. Uh, the person with the gold makes the rules. Um, <laughs> and, and so we're, we're subject to that a little bit in that they have, you know, they're, they're trying to give us their money. Uh, and so they feel that they can sort of dictate the terms of the deal. Now, naturally there, there are some limitations in that, um, you know, with respect to how our products are made. Um, there are some things that because we're a public company, we just, we can't do. Um, and so there are some internal restrictions or some guardrails that we have, but ultimately at the end of the day, the, the, the nice thing about what I do and why I like it so much. And, and it's sort of why, what I do is radically different from what everyone here at Ramos law does is both sides want to get the deal done on the customer side. They're coming to us because they have a need for our products and solutions. We obviously want to to sell and make money on it. Um, and so it's very much, it's, you know, both sides working together. Now, naturally there is some, uh, there is some tension between both sides because we don't want to give, you know, we don't want to give up the farm and neither does the customer. And so naturally you, you really sort of slide towards the middle and it's very much a compromise. So I, I think in the sense is, you know, a win-win and that both parties get what they want. Um, but it's very much a compromise in that you're not getting everything that you wanted a hundred percent, you know, it, you try and get as close to 50, 50 as possible. Um, naturally when I'm representing the company and, and we're selling, we want to be a bit more, uh, maybe 70, 70, 30 if we can, but obviously, uh, that depends on the customers and on the flip side with the vendors, it's, it's kind of the same as well. If we're buying something, we want to get the best deal and we can, 
in that position, we're the one with the gold, right? So we can try and, and dictate as much as we can, um, which gives a unique perspective for me doing both. Um, naturally, I hear the arguments on both sides. And so I, hey, that's a, a really good argument for why we need to, to increase payment terms or, you know, take, take from one side and, and add to the other. So how do you, um, maybe you can give our audience, because again, um, so that people get it, we're all engaged in contracts every single day. It might be a contract with a gym. It might be the contract with our spouse called marriage or with our kids called parenting, or, you know, there's all these different contracts. How important or, or what tips might you have for negotiating um, fairly? Are there tactics? And I don't mean tactics in a get over on you way, but are there things that you look for as a professional when you're doing a deal yep. that you would share that could be applied across any domain with respect to negotiating? How do you do it fairly, um, professionally, and to make sure that you get the best deal possible? Yeah, I, I think it, it goes back to just recognizing that you, you know, you're, you're not always going to get everything that you want. And so I think going in with that mindset of like, um, you, you know, we need to get to a point where, and I had a, a mentor tell me this, uh, the, the can you sleep at night test, basically, when it comes to risk, like, is the risk involved? Like, are you going to be able to sleep at night signing that contract, wh- whatever it is, if it's, you know, for $100 million, like, are you going to be able to sleep at night knowing that you've got to pay that all up front in installments, like, and so really, it's just ultimately comes down to, to your own comfortability. Um, a, a lot of times, especially, you know, in my role, it's, we, we shift that risk analysis to the business. We can point it out and say, hey, look, this is what we're seeing in the contract. Um, this is what we advise. But if if this deal really means that much to you, then like if if you can sleep at night accepting these terms kind of thing. So emotion um, still plays a, an important role in a deal, like how you feel about it versus just the the mechanics of, like you say, you're advising saying, man, this there's a lot of risk here, but if, if it's what you really need to do, so there's, do, do we have to look at applying emotional deal versus the litmus litmus test of, can I survive a worst case scenario of this situation? I think a little bit, obviously what, what we do is try and predict that worst case scenario. And so a lot of it is like, Hey, this is the absolute worst case scenario. Can you, can you live with that? Um, obviously nobody wants to, to go through, you know, sign a, sign a deal and then ultimately like, uh, do something to, to breach that deal, whether it be, you know, failing to pay or, you know, as a a software company, if our product were to stop working all of a sudden, like we're, we're agreeing to provide the product, um, we, we never intend for that to happen, but the reason we have the contract is in case those things happen. And so, um, it really is about like, this is the worst case scenario. Can you live with that? Recognizing that in reality, like the, the risk of that actually happening, the probability of that happening, um, may be quite low. And so while the, you you know, the potential outcome is very high, the, the probability is quite low. And so there, there is a balancing it's, you know, I, I try and, and, think in numbers going back to, to sort of my undergrad thinking of things in terms of numbers. And so being able to put a value on, you know, I think the risk is 30% of this actually happening and it being, you know, quite substantial or, um, you, you know, it, it could be quite, it could be much higher. Like, um, but it, it just depends on, you know, 
what type of deal it is. Like obviously, um, if you're buying a house, right, there's not a lot of, of room to negotiate. Um, those things are, are pretty standard at this point. Um, between businesses, it's th there's a little bit more flexibility. Um, cause like I said, both sides want, want to ultimately make a deal. Yeah. And so if, if a individual is going into a contract, let's just say a real estate deal, ideally they're going to have a professional realtor or real estate attorney on their side. And then you have the seller that has that same kind of thing. They're going to be watching out for that in the case where people are going into an agreement on their own. It's a low level agreement, but it might be a big for them. Yep. Is there certain things that people should really watch out for? For example, you mentioned earlier uh, payment terms yep. or interest rates yep. or hidden fees or what happens if you miss timely payments? Is, is there things that if someone's look, trying to do their own contract at a, at a basic level, not near where you're at, yep. that they should really pay attention to when they're going into, maybe even it's a rental agreement, they're gonna go rent a, a home or yep. rent a car? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's kind of a cop out to say like you, you really have to read the whole thing. Um, and, and you know, a lot of times it'll be sort of boilerplate legalese. That's, that's very dense, hard to get through. Um, but I, I think what a lot of folks have been trying to do, uh, in the profession is, is really just say what you want to do. And I actually had a mentor say that's kind of the good thing about being a contract attorney is you get to say, you, you get to kind of create the law between the parties. And so really the most like fundamental thing is just to read the, read the contract and see, because a lot of times it'll say, you know, your payment is due on the first of every month. If we don't receive it by the fifth of every month, um, you, you know, we have the right to evict you or we have the right to accelerate the, the rest of the payment schedule. Um, and so those types of things you can, you can figure out, obviously if, if you're having to pay money, that's going to be really important to you. And so you might key in on, on those aspects of like, what happens if I miss a payment? Is there a grace period, uh, that I have before they come and, and repossess my car, kick me out of, of my apartment or, or my rental home or, or what have you, um, and the unfortunate thing in, in those instances, if you're dealing with like an apartment company, you, you don't have a lot of leverage, right? They'll just go to the next person that's, that's willing to sign, maybe without even reading it. But it's worth asking the question, you, you know, mm -hmm. the, the famous uh, Wayne Gretzky quoted by Michael Scott quote of you, you miss 100% of the shots that you never take. Um, it, it never hurts to ask those questions. And so if you see something that maybe you're uncomfortable with or you're not quite sure what it means, like just just ask either the other party or seek help, uh, a legal advisor or even a business person may be able to help you uh, say, yeah, that's that that doesn't look quite right. Maybe you want to you, you want to get a professional to take a look at it. Ooh, I like that one is, <laughs> is if you feel like you're in water that's too deep, it's yep. worth it to spend the money that you don't so that you don't have to spend money later. Exactly. What about getting out of contracts? Um, I know that uh, one big example is timeshares. Yep. You know, I've, there are businesses that their whole business model is getting people out of timeshare contracts that they've entered into. A contract's an interesting thing, and I don't know how much you know about sports contracts. I know very little, mm -hmm. but I know that um, these players and some sports have more leverage than others yep. to say my contract means what it means. You're paying me on one side, but on the other side, if I want to trade, I'm going to get traded. Yep. The same thing if you have a guaranteed contract for the money versus a performance. So the NFL is known for incentive-based contracts, whereas baseball, hey, money's yours, yep. right? So all of that kind of stuff, when do, you, when do you know, like, 
I get to, or I need to walk away from this. Yeah. And that's, that's obviously one of the, the critical pieces that we look at. Um, specifically like when we're selling software, some of the accounting rules, uh, dictate that, uh, you, you have to be able to go in for like a full term, like a full 12 month period or, or whatever the term is. Um, and, and there's a, a, a clause that a lot of customers will try and negotiate. We certainly try and negotiate on when we're, when we're buying things and it's, uh, the right to terminate for convenience. So basically you can terminate the contract at any point during the, the life of the contract, uh, for any reason or for no reason at all. And that's, that's certainly the ideal position. Um, a lot of times is that the ideal position from you with the vendor where you're paying, but it's not the ideal position for you with a client who's paying you, or is it ideal position from your perspective for both those parties? Uh, when we're buying, uh, when we are the customer, that is the ideal position because it gives us the right. If, if we don't like the vendor, if we don't like the product, the service, what have you, we can, we can get out of the yes. contract and we don't have any any future payment obligations or, or any other obligation um, on the, when, when we're the vendor, when we're selling to customers, um, that's where I was sort of going with the accounting rules is that um, we're, we're not allowed to uh, what's called book the revenue, basically account for that revenue um, if they have a right to terminate for convenience, because we may not, we may not ultimately be able to, uh, to capitalize the full, the full value of that contract. Mm -hmm. Um, so do you allow that to happen then in those cases? Or do you say, Hey, no, we can't do that because of the accounting rules and because of all that. So if you ask us as the customer, you say, Hey, you know, I want, I want easy out yeah. potential. You say, Oh, we'd love to give it to you, but we can't. Is yeah. that kind of what, it, and I think a lot of folks understand that, or a lot of businesses understand that. And it's something that we push for on the vendor side and, I think it's it's like a specific type of software company that's subject to those accounting rules. And so it's not every instance that, that those rules apply. And so in the terms of what we sell, it does apply. And so we're always, it's a hard no uh, from our customers. On the vendor side, it, it really just depends on what they're offering. If it's, um, you know, catering services, maybe that's not quite a big deal to the catering company. If, if we break the contract, uh, in the middle of the term for no, no reason, they'll just go and find uh, another, uh, another business to, to cater to or what have you. So, um, it's interesting you, you bring up the sports contract. So, cause those are, are some of my favorite, honestly, they are, um, Ooh, let's talk about sports. Contract. Yeah. Specifically the, the, uh, the coaching contracts, right. Okay. Um, and this is something I, I've seen folks on the internet internet, um, try and negotiate these in, in terms of their employment contracts. But the best one is, um, these huge buyout clauses, right? So going back to being able to terminate the contract early, if you have a coach who's on say a five-year deal for X number of, of million dollars per year, if the school, the, the team, what have you terminates that contract, they still have to pay the remainder of the contract, even though they're the, the coach isn't performing the services. Um, and so it's, so their money's guaranteed. Yeah, absolutely. If they negotiate those buyout clauses, which at least in college football, not so sure about the NFL, um, that's become, become the standard, you know, famous, um, LSU with, uh, coach O um, I'm sure folks may be familiar with the, the amazing 2019 season, uh, two very horrible years later, coach O gets fired and they have to pay him something like $17 million to not coach. Yes. Uh, for, for LSU. Um, and so that, that's something ultimately I'd like to 
to, to negotiate on my behalf is like, Hey, if you fire me, you still got to pay me. Uh, yeah. It's the <laughs> ultimate, ultimate deal. The ultimate win-win, <laughs> exactly. right. For, for you double win. Yeah. My, my, my boss was not too keen on, on, uh, on offering that at this time, but, uh, you, you know, I'll, I'll keep pushing for you keep it. working on that. <laughs> so is, is getting an exit strategy, a critical part of every contract of knowing how, what the exact details are and if the things aren't working, how you're going to get out, how long it takes, how much it costs. That's something that everyone should look at. Yeah. I mean, yes, absolutely. You, you never want to be tied down for, for life. And, and even, you, you know, a, a termination for convenience is obviously like is critical if you want the flexibility to get out at any point. Um, usually every single contract that I've worked on has a termination for cause section. And that gives you the right, if the other party breaches the contract, um, does something wrong, like if, if we have a contract where you're gonna pay me maybe to be your attorney and you don't pay me, I can, I can terminate that contract because you've breached the agreement. You didn't perform your obligation and so we're just going to, to cancel this contract. And so that normally exists in, in, every in every contract, the right to terminate for cause. And it could be the failure to pay, it could be I'm not performing services. You're, you're calling me uh, every day, a few times a day, and I'm not returning your calls. I'm not doing anything. Uh, I'm not representing you in any capacity. I'm not providing you a service. Um, I'm not performing my obligations. And so you would have that right to, to terminate. And usually it's the, the, the way it's structured is you have a, a cure period. And so uh, in, in the case of non-payment, right, you, you haven't paid me. I'm going to send you a letter that says, hey, your bill was due on the 1st. It's now the 15th. Uh, I still haven't received any money from you. If you don't pay me in another 15 days, I'm going to terminate the contract. Um, and so usually it'll be structured like we have to give notice of the breach or the alleged breach um, and then give a period, usually 30 days, sometimes a, a little bit longer, depending on the nature of the contract to ultimately fix the problem. Um, that's sort of, that's standard. And it sometimes goes a bit further. There are some things that are just um, extreme breaches of the agreement, material breaches of the agreement that are incurable, right? Like if uh, we're giving confidential information to one of our vendors and they release that confidential information to the public, um, we can terminate that contract immediately because or like criminal activity. Yeah, exactly. You, you can't sort of unring that bell of releasing our confidential information, right? Yeah. Uh, that's irreparable harm that, that can't be fixed. You, you can't sort of claw that, claw that confidential information. And back. do you see that oftentimes, like in some of the contracts I've read, I've noticed that it'll say, Hey, um, this contract can be breached. If this, if this, if this, if this, if this. And so sometimes I've seen it say, that, that those are the rights of the writer of the contract. Mm -hmm. And then in another section, it's the rights of the signer of the contract. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff will be similar, but sometimes I've had to go back and I'm like, Oh, hold on a minute. If you're asking that of me, then I expect that of you. Yeah. Is it that fair? Like, is that something that commonly happens in contracts? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's sort of working to that 50, 50 median. Um, naturally like our contracts are going to be more favorable to us as a starting point, recognizing that there may be, you know, instances where we can, um, 
we, we can bend or maybe be a little bit more flexible. And, and every vendor that, that I negotiate against is the same way. Like it may be completely one-sided where they're getting everything and we're getting nothing, um, or it may be a little bit towards the middle. And so what we're trying to do is ultimately, yeah, at least on the purchasing side, bring it towards the middle, or if we can, a little bit more favorable to our side. Um, and on the selling side, obviously trying to keep that, that favorability on, on our side as well. So what about when you, you mentioned that when you're, you use a term that was interesting to me, when you're going with another side and you're negotiating against them, and that just rang a bell in my mind. I'm sure there comes time where you negotiate with someone who has, you've become friendly with and maybe you're friends. Do, is there a different outlook when you have a personal relationship or does that help or hinder a typical contractual negotiation? I think it just comes down to knowing who you represent. Like it certainly, it certainly helps if you're friendly with the other side. Like I'm sure, you know, with with Maddie and and some of the other attorneys here, if if they're friendly with opposing counsel, then maybe opposing counsel is is willing to give a little bit more or sort of push their client a little bit more. Um, than if you you just don't get along at all. And so I, I think you you see that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in that you know it's it's not so much like um, you're completely giving away everything because you still have to represent the the best interests of your client, but it, it does sort of help um, maybe remove a few rounds of negotiations. It's like okay, look, this is our you know you can kind of get We've to done the, this before. Yeah, you, you can you know get to the think. bottom line a little bit quicker and, and not have to sort of go through every line of the contract and say, yeah, this is what we need here. This is what we need here. It's like, hey, this is the deal we've we've done in the past. Let's, let's pretty much replicate that here. That's so smart. You know, um, in some of the deals that I've done that are, again, just me with someone else on something, I've always found that if I have an understanding of what their real wants and needs are and we talk it through before we do the contract, then all of a sudden, now it's just details. Like when, for example, when we do an offer letter here, I don't ever send an offer letter before I've talked to that person. I understand. I tell them exactly what to expect. And I said, Hey, now I'm going to send you an offer letter. That is the contract, so yep. to speak. And if there's anything that you see that we haven't talked about or anything that you want to discuss before you sign it, then get it back to me. So in, in small type deals, uh, small being compared to what you do, I think that could be a really beneficial strategy in a lot of cases, because that way, um, I think people, when you're not really um, akin to it, yep. people take contracts personally. I, I think that's that's often the case, um, especially in like a, an offer letter, right? Like you could feel slighted if maybe you feel you're worth something and and maybe it was like mentioned or represented somehow of, of what you may think you're entitled to. And then you get it and you're like, wow, uh, what is this? That kind of starts the relationship off really badly. And especially with something like employment, or if you're, you know, if you're leasing out uh, a house that you own, or, or whatever the case may be, where you're 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 trying to form a relationship with this person, maybe not a personal relationship, but a business relationship. Like it's still you want it to go well. Like both parties want the contract to go well. Nobody really intends to unless to, it's a divorce. Unless it's a divorce, <laughs> but uh, that might be different. Uh, but yeah, and so I, I think it's obviously good to to sort of start off on the the right foot obviously you can't give away all your cards but there is a certain amount of saying hey this is you know this is our position here like 
these are some of the tweaks that maybe we can make, but like, this is the reason why, and really just being open and honest about the reasons why I feel like a lot of times when we're negotiating customer contracts, it's, they may not completely understand what we're selling or, or maybe like how our products built, what type of security protocols we have and so on. And so really just getting the right folks in the room to explain to the other right folks. It, it may not be attorneys. It may be uh, the information security folks for both sides of saying, hey, this is this is how secure our products are. These are the protocols that we use and getting those two speaking the same language, much like, you, you know, uh, the, the lawyer speaking the same the same legalese, getting those folks speaking the same language and, and understanding at a fundamental level, this is what we're what we're doing, what we're agreeing to. Um, we can sort of work out the, the nitty gritty details, but let's at a broad level sort of get, get on the same page. So here's a question. Now it's coming to brass tacks, man. <laughs> Everyone needs this information. You're going to buy a car. Yep. You're going to the dealership. <laughs> you and I know what's coming up now, yep. right? They're going to tell you all oh, this and this, and the salesman says one thing. And then what happens? They go into the back room, into the finance, and then that person goes to talk to this person. Now you're kind of out of the loop. What should people do to protect themselves or to, to try not to get taken? And, and I hate to use that because not all car dealerships are trying to do that, but how can someone negotiate the best deal in a situation like that? What do they look for? Should they be demanding and say all they can say is no? Like, do you, how do you keep pushing to get what's best for you knowing the contracts at the car dealerships or similar type stuff is going to be what's best for them? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, again, obviously wanting to to shoot your shot, right? Whatever you feel that you think is best for you, it doesn't hurt to ask. Um, we had a situation when, when we bought a car recently and you know, we had mentioned that we're lawyers and I'd hate to do this with (laughs) you, by the way, I'd feel at such a disadvantage. Well, the the problem is that uh, again, right? We as consumers against a huge entity, uh, a car manufacturer, car dealership don't have the necessary leverage to really like move the scale, right? Like we're not going to say, Hey, you've got to give me 30, you, you got to cut the price in half. Like they're just not going to do that because they can go to the next person yes. and sell it for 5,000 more than, than list price or, or whatever. And so, uh, it, it doesn't hurt to ask the main thing, especially with buying a car is because for them, it's all about a numbers game. They're trying to push this many units. Um, I'm confident in this because my brother was actually a, a car salesman. So we, we've kind of chatted about <laughs> this, this back and forth a lot. Um, it's just be, you know, be willing to walk away. Um, how do you determine when that is? You, you know, I, I think you have to do a lot of, of due diligence at the beginning. Like obviously you have to know what, what the value of the car is, what a reasonable price to pay is. And so if they're listing it in, you know, if you KBB it or, you know, Kelly Blue Book or, or look it up somehow and figure out, okay, this car is worth $30,000. They're offering it with, you know, all the bells and whistles for $40,000. And all those bells and whistles, if you go build it online, is worth maybe 50000 That may be a pretty good deal. And you may want to you, you jump on that. Maybe it's, you know, the end of the year, they're trying to move the old models out. Um, but it's really about what you're comfortable paying. And I, I know what my brother did a lot was this is, you know, working with their customers of what is your bottom line? What do you want your monthly payment to be? And then ultimately trying to structure the deal that way. And they do some funny business on that, whether it's sort of lengthening the terms or you're, you're going for like an, an eight year deal deal for like a, a $30,000 car or something like that. Like 
maybe it's not going to be worth it in or, or in your best interest down the road. Um, but ultimately just knowing what you're comfortable with doing again, it goes back to knowing what you're signing up for. If I'm going to sign up to pay 500 bucks a month for 72 months, like, is that something you really want to tie down to? You do have the ability to sell the car. Like once you buy the car, that's kind of the, the transaction done, obviously a lot of people will finance the car. And so your relationship then isn't with the car dealership. It's with the bank or, or maybe it still is the dealership, but they're, they're lender. Um, and so it's about sort of the, the contract between you and the lending institution at that point. And so really just what you're, you're comfortable with. If you're comfortable paying that amount, you, you have very good income security. Um, or, or maybe it's at the top of your budget and you want to push for a little bit more. And if they're not willing to sort of meet your bottom line, that's, that's when you sort of walk away and say, thanks, thanks, but no thanks. So in, in any situation, regardless of it's with buying a car or renting a home or purchasing something, I think what I hear you saying is you should either take the time to understand all the variables or have someone in your corner that does and go into it with an idea of if I can't get this done, then I need to walk away yep. because if I don't, then I'm the, the risk is too high. Should a worst case scenario happen, I may not be able to withstand it. And that could create a whole bunch of downstream effects. Is that kind of the way you go about it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's the ultimate sort of bargaining chip that you have, especially if you're buying something is I, you, you have to be able to walk away, right? Cause naturally if you're going to sell me a car, and you're saying it's worth $60,000. And I say, no, 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 I'm going to pay, you know, $30,000, right? So there's a pretty big gap between us. And naturally, we'll sort of move towards the middle of where we are. It's a lot like, you know, what uh, any settlement negotiation with, with some of the Ramos Law clients. They're trying to get to a number that that your attorneys feel is is right and appropriate for, for your clients. Um, the defense is trying to get to a point where they can say, Hey, insurance company, yeah, this is, this is a good deal. Um, but ultimately you have to be willing to, to walk away because naturally throughout that process, you say, no, 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 no. I, I will not pay more than, than $40,000. I will not pay more than $50,000. And then at some point they're just going to, they, they know they've got you Yes. when you say, okay, if, if you keep saying, if you keep raising the bar, for instance, they know that they've, they've got you. Yes. And so that's the thing is, no, you, you know, sticking to a number. If, if your number is 45, like getting to a point, you obviously don't go straight there, but getting to a point where you say 45 is my last best final offer. And if you can't match that, I'm, I'm going to walk and go find someone that can. Yeah. Um, and, and the instance of a car and, and it's, it's hard in the, the case of like an apartment because you, you know, those things are based on square footage a lot of times. And so it's hard to negotiate those rates it doesn't hurt to ask again going back to that or that term point. or yeah, something exactly yeah i mean we we had an instance where um we lived in in boulder for a few months like three months and that was one of the things is the the apartment company didn't offer you, you know anything below 12 months um and so we were able to say hey look this is the situation like you've got to be able to do like a month to month or we have to be able to, to work this out like we're willing to obviously pay you maybe more than what the 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 yearly rate would be in order to do this but th this is our situation we simply can't 
we can't do that. We don't need a 12 month lease. Uh, we're only going to be here for a couple of months. So, mm -hmm. um, it's really just about talking through those things and, you, you know, hoping that you get someone on the other side that's willing to make a deal, which in my profession, like in a lot of business to business deals, like that's the case, like both sides want to yes. make a deal. Um, it's usually the case that the business stakeholders are mad at the attorneys because we're arguing over the, the nitty gritty details and they just want to be able to use the product or, you know, uh, start utilizing the service. Um, but it's those details that, like you said, if, if worst case happens, that's what we're trying to protect against. Yes. Okay. So super important question. What do you think about Lamar Jackson trying to negotiate his deal with the, with the Baltimore Ravens? You think that's going to get done? And a guy trying to negotiate his own deal at that level? Yeah, it's, it's definitely tough because, and granted, I, I haven't been following it too closely. I, I know sort of what the issues are on, on both sides. Um, and, and really it's about, I think in that case, like being able to go with the give and take, right. Of like, Hey, we may be willing to give you more guaranteed money, but like maybe your incentives have to come down. Like if you go to the, if we win the Super Bowl, maybe we can't pay you, you know, I don't know what a, a reasonable bonus for winning the Super Bowl for a, a starting quarterback would be, but maybe we can't pay you what we would pay uh, Russell Wilson if he won the Super Bowl, but maybe it's, you know, one of the, the lower tier quarterbacks, maybe it's what their bonus is. And so I, I think it's just the, the knowledge of, the contract structure, obviously the agents exist for a reason. They, they know how to negotiate those deals on behalf of their clients. And it's a lot of that give and take of, Hey, we want the guaranteed money and we're willing to bend somewhere else. And, and maybe that's something that Lamar might not be able to, to articulate as well because he yeah. doesn't quite know the structure. As and well. especially if he's so engaged in saying what other guys are making, right? Because you always want to set the market and yep. this kind of thing. And he says, well, wait, on one side, look what I've done. And on the other side, the best ability is availability. Yep. And you haven't been available. been available. And so yep. when you go back and forth on this, it's interesting. And um, that's just fascinating of a guy of that stature that could pay an agent decided not to. Makes me wonder. So I, I thought I'd get your thoughts on it's, it. But. It's a nice uh, show of confidence. And I mean, you don't get to that level without being confident. For sure. Um, but it's you know, it's, it's also the case that he's not asking his agent to step in for him mm -hmm. and play quarterback. And so at some point, especially with the amount of money involved, like you want to make sure that those, those nitty gritty details that we keep going back to are in place and are exactly what you want. Because like you said, if, if he gets hurt, um, what happens? Obviously from the team's perspective, they feel that they shouldn't have to pay someone who's not performing their side of the contract being the starting quarterback. Um, but I, I know it's a little bit different in those cases, um, but it, it is fascinating to, to sort of see how it plays out. And ultimately um, I'm sure they'll get something done because I know the Ravens certainly want him. Um, he does have the leverage of maybe going elsewhere. Maybe, maybe he doesn't. Um, well, they did sign Odell Beckham Jr. Maybe yeah. that's a course, unless he says, well, you gave that guy my money, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. but anyway, lots of fun stuff to talk about. So if I were boiling this episode down, I would say that, um, when going into a contract, look at it. And if you don't understand it, get an advisor, make sure you know the details of what the key points are. Cause like you say, a lot of boilerplate information, understand what a worst case scenario is and can you live with it? Know where your walkaway points are and look to see how if, if a personal relationship 
can kind of make this thing easier. That would be kind of my takeaways from what you shared with me. Is there any other keynotes that you would say when entering into a contract with someone that you should pay attention to? Uh, I, I think just be open-minded because you may go in thinking that you have all the answers and um, often, oftentimes like um, in the negotiations that I do, it, it boils down to a, a handful of clauses, um, but there are multiple ways that you can go about achieving something um, just using the wording. And so it, it may be the case that you're thinking like, okay, no, I, I don't want to pay everything all up front, or I don't want to, you know, whatever the case may be, there's, there could be multiple ways to sort of, um, to, to make that happen, to make the deal happen, uh, and get the same point across. And so I, I think just being open-minded, understanding that, um, you, you know, not everything has to be done the way it's been done in the past. There are some, some other options that could be available. And so just thinking through those things and obviously talking with, with the other side, it's, it's not the case that, um, usually it's not the case or hopefully it's not the case that one party's trying to take advantage of another uh, sometimes is but usually it's they're they're both trying to get the deal done and so um, I, I think it's it's more so that you're, you're trying to be aligned as best as possible uh, naturally there is that tension but ultimately um, you both want to get the deal done so just work together as best you can love that one last question for you if um, you were thinking back on your life to this point is there one piece of advice that you've either, either learned or been given that has really helped shape who you are that you would want to pass on to our audience? I, I think just, you know, I, I know it, it's been said a lot, but really that, you know, there's, there, there's really nothing that you, you can't achieve, right? We've seen it. Um, I mentioned with with my brother and me being the first to, to go to college, me being the first to go to graduate school, um, and, and really sort of going at it for the most part alone and trying to figure those things out and really just um, making sure that you, you know that you don't allow yourself to get into your own way. Uh, and really one of the things that, that I've sort of passed on to, to my cousins, as I mentioned, is for us, that was moving to Colorado. Like we, we loved coming out here to ski. We loved when we lived here over the summer. We really wanted to be here. And so that was our ultimate goal was moving to Colorado. And we, we set our sights on that and we just were full speed ahead at, at making sure that we achieve that. And so I always tell my cousins, like, find your Colorado. Like it, it doesn't, mm, you don't have to I move up that. here, um, but find something that you're that passionate about and just go at it full steam. And and really at that point, nobody can stop you but yourself. And as long as you don't get in your way, then then really anything's possible. Beautiful. Tyler, anything is possible. Thank you so much for your time today, for your expertise and your wisdom on contracts. If someone wanted to learn more about um, contracts or they want to learn more about you, how would they best connect with you? Uh, certainly on LinkedIn. I think that would be the, the best place. Uh, Tyler Robbins, I think it should be uh, fairly, uh, two B's, correct? two B's, two B's. Yep. And, uh, the one that works at Alteryx Incorporated and spell um, Alteryx, uh, A L T E R Y X alter Y X, uh, the Y X axis. So a little oh, bit of, a little there. bit, of, a little, little bit of clever, clever wordplay there. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn would be the, the best place to connect. Certainly be happy to, to help and, uh, feel free to reach out. That's awesome. Well, I hope you had a good time. I learned a lot. If you were watching or listening to this and, um, you got your brain stimulated, please pass it to someone else. Even if contracts aren't your thing, it's something to listen to and to learn and to get your thinking because it's when we think 
we act and then we make a difference. So Tyler, thanks for coming here. Look forward to continued hearing about continued success for you and seeing you around here more often too, especially with a little baby coming. Absolutely. All right. Have a great day, my friend. Okay. Thanks for having me. My pleasure.